So regardless of the sport that you coach, things evolve. Like the way the game is played, it changes over time. Now, I think one of the traps that many coaches fall into is chasing after the newest shiny thing, right? We see a team have a lot of success running a new formation, or they may have a new offensive or, or defensive system, or they might even emphasize skill development in a certain way, or they just might come out with a really catchy team mantra or slogan. And then we as coaches, we chase after that sh new shiny object. You know, we change our formation the next season, or we implement the new tactical system, or we change the way we do skill development, or we slap a new slogan on a t-shirt or on the locker room wall. And sometimes those changes are positive. They are us evolving and learning and growing uh, from the best out there. But a lot of times they're not. Like we're missing what's really happening. Yes, those tactical and technical things are good, but there's something else behind it all that makes it successful. Today's guest is Mark Cassio, who's not only the head basketball coach, at Catholic High School in Baton Rouge, but he's the owner of Courtside Consulting, which supports basketball coaches' learning and development. In the world of basketball, he is blowing up because of the drive and space offense that he has run and perfected. Now, I'm fortunate to call Mark a close friend, and in 2018, he joined the mentorship program, and I've been supporting him and his team since then. And it's given me a unique perspective that I think few people talk about or realize about his success. Who he is as a person, how he leads, and how intentional and committed he is to building his culture. So in part one of our conversation, we're gonna dive into the things that he has done to build his culture. And in our next episode, part two, we'll discuss what I believe is really the key to his success how he learns and grows, which is what we are all about on this podcast. Thanks for listening in to the Coaching Culture Podcast. For those of you who don't know me, I'm JP Nurbin, the founder of Thrive on Challenge, and I'm joined by my co-host, Nate Sanderson. We help coaches to improve their culture, not just through this podcast, but through our mentorship program and community. You can learn more about that at thriveonchallenge.com and also get our very detailed notes to every podcast. Mark, excited to have you on the podcast today, brother. This has been a long time coming. I want to get us started off probably talking about a, a topic that you don't normally talk about when you are a guest on podcasts, and that is your approach towards your culture and your leadership. And knowing you over the last three years and having that privilege of, of kind of working with you and, and your program, I know as intentional as you are when it comes to the tactical and technical side of the game of basketball, you are just as intentional when it comes to the cultural side, but it wasn't always that case. So I was thinking maybe you could kind of start us off with just sharing a little bit of your journey towards understanding the importance of culture and leadership. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first, thanks for having me on. Excited to talk to to you and Nate, and um, and I'm excited to talk about culture and leadership rather than all X's and O's, like like you said. I normally am a guest at, and that's kind of where my coaching journey began. Uh, is just really focused on X's and O's. I was a 21 year old head coach, and I felt like that was just the most important thing. And that you know the way you win games is just out coaching everybody X's and O's, or you know some people say it's about the Jimmies and the Joes. 
but I feel the natural progression as any coach kind of went the same as mine where you're, you're really into the X's and O's and you want better plays. And, and um, then you go to uh, understanding the importance of, of what it means to run a practice and then what it means to run a program that's organized and put together. But I think the sign of a master coach is one that incorporates culture into all of those things where uh, we all say we want better players and we want them to play hard, smart, and together. And as a younger coach, I just didn't realize that culture drives those things. It's not really what you, um, you know, your system of play or your skill development. It's really your culture drives all of those things. And, and that's really what wins games in the end. If you want teams to share the ball and communicate and be leaders, you as the coach need to build the culture that, that builds players uh, in, in order to do that. Yeah, and it's it's always interesting because I see a lot of other coaches talk about how they must they love your offense, how sharp it is. And I sit back and and I understand how you're so good at all the other things that really contribute to the success of that. How has you know your culture and your approach towards it evolved in the last you know three to four years? Uh, you know, I think before, uh, just as a, as a younger coach getting in is I knew I wanted to impact players and, and impact their lives on and off the floor. So really cared about their education, cared about their home life, but it was really hard for me to, um, to do that within basketball, meaning like, I'm going to care about, you know, your school and, and in your mental health, but don't you dare mess up in basketball, you know, because then the hammer's <laughs> going to come down and you're going to have these consequences because you're making it harder on me to do what I want to do. So I think just shifting my perspective of, um, you know, more transformational coaching where it's, we, we always wanted relationships, but just it's more of an emphasis on building better people and better people are going to make better basketball players. So I think just in my own personal journey and growth, it's just been focusing more on that and knowing that the byproduct of that is going to be that we have better people, which will be better basketball players, which will help us accomplish everything that we want to accomplish. Mark, you mentioned that phrase transformational coaching, and that's something that we obviously talk a lot about on the podcast here. Um, I'm curious for you, what does that phrase mean? Like when you talk about transformational coaching and trying to infuse that in your program and have it be a thread, you know, through all your levels and all your activities, what, what does that mean to you? I, I think it goes back to just, you know, what I said with my own personal growth of putting the emphasis on relationships and building people and building character. And um, it wasn't until JP made an, an initial uh, visit to, to come observe my program where he really said, you know, what's the, just the overriding goal of the program, take wins, losses out, take trophies out of the equation. And I guess what it, what it came down to me is I wanted players to just not have that like, man, we just hit a wall or the wind is out of our sails and how are we going to pick this back up together? So we kind of just boiled it down to just every member has a meaningful and memorable experience. And I think if you're creating that, and you're building good people and better people and, and better relationships. I think that's transformational coaching to me. So what were some of the things that you weren't doing a few years ago that you are doing now that are helping to create that meaningful, memorable experience? 
gosh, a lot. I mean, for one, more one-on-ones with players. Um, I'm much more proactive, really, with everything, especially with parents. I think that's, gosh, looking back, that's probably the, the way our program has grown the most, is more partners with our parents, much more transparent. Uh, I felt like I was very guarded in the past for really no reason other than the fact that I was trying to probably hide some things or run from some hard conversations. But also with with players and coaching them, I think I'm more dedicated to solving the right problem. So to kind of go back with my personal growth, I mentioned like don't mess up in basketball because the hammer's coming down. Where I remember one of our first conversations, I was talking about a player. That just he would forget his water bottle, and if he didn't forget his water bottle, he, he'd forget his shoes for a road game, and then another day he would lack energy, and he was just very inconsistent, but a talented player. And I just I would get mad at him, you know. And, and um, I think the, what we've really changed in our culture is we're all about solving the right problem. So more of you know what's the obstacle? Why is he not doing those things? And how can I be part of the solution? instead of just giving him consequences for his problem. Just this season alone, you have a really special, special story of success. In the previous couple of years, you were making the final or semifinal. And I think this year you guys finished in the state quarter, quarterfinals. But I remember you texted me after that. It's just like, it felt really, really good. you know. And not a lot of times when coaches are, traditionally making it the semifinals or finals and they go out in the quarters, do they have that type of experience? But you did, you felt really, really good at the end of the season when you lost. I was hoping you could share a little bit about why that felt so good for you this year. Yeah. Like you said, we lost in the quarters and uh, the past three years, we've won back to back to back district championships and, and had back to back to back final four appearances. So expectations have have you know we've created high expectations and standard for ourselves and losing in the quarters has kind of been uncharted territory there wasn't a player in our program that hadn't been to you know the that level of, of going to the final four and our the end of the season for us we didn't play very many games down the stretch because we we were quarantined and then we had other schools cancel because they were uh, uh trying to avoid contact tracing uh, so we, we, it was a lot of practice and very few games. So it's hard to get a pulse of the team. And um, as the playoffs started, we were, you know, we're doing okay. We knew the quarterfinals would be a really tough game. And when we lost, and it was a, a hard fought game, we kind of came storming back in the fourth and just couldn't get over the hump. It was a little bit too little too late. But in the locker room after the game, I remember just I always thank our team for for their sacrifice and hard work and and for leaving it better than they found it. And, um, we had juniors. I mean, the seniors, you know, usually cry or upset, but we had juniors crying in the locker room. And usually, you know, those guys are upset, but they know they have another year. So that kind of caught my attention in the locker room. Just like, man, we we were we were more invested than I probably even gave them credit for. And then after the game, we went up and. Uh, it was just a really cool environment. Like the the seniors were just hugging each other, coming up, hugging me, and then they would walk away for a little bit. And then the same senior would come up and give me another hug. And uh, they ended up just staying in the gym for like an hour, uh, hour and a half after the game. It was just apparent that the families and the seniors and the players just didn't want to leave. And I had parents coming up to me saying, I feel like we should have done more. I don't think we did enough. Did we do enough? 
and um, you know, and, talking and, about and themselves as parents, right? It wasn't talking it, about you or the players; it was themselves, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. So it was more of you know, how could we have helped more? Did did we you know did we support the program enough? And you know, it, it, a lot of times seniors have that feeling too, like oh, I wish I would have done more. Uh, so it was like the first time parents had kind of came up and just said, I, I feel like we didn't do enough as parents. Uh, I've never had that happen before, especially after a loss that could, you know, some, you know, I guess everybody just started to expect us to to move on uh, in the playoffs. So after, a, I guess, a quote unquote disappointing loss, just to have that attitude and, and that just like a good feeling in the gym after a playoff loss, which you, I think you rarely have. Mark, I'm curious, as you have grown the culture in your program, and the expectations have been high, as you mentioned, just due to prior success year in and year out. How do you feel that that culture has helped maybe players to navigate some of that that expectation that comes with the outcomes that you've experienced? Great question. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think our communication has gotten a lot better. So I think just coaches and players being on the same page as far as embracing the process and. Um, and our process and our systems really help keep things in perspective. So I try to go the wooden route of, of talking as little as much uh, or little as possible about uh, winning games and more of, you know, the process that we're going to go through and just focusing on the day of getting better. And I think having clear systems in place uh, and clear processes in place to keep the emphasis on the journey rather than the outcome has really helped us. Um, and our leadership continues to get better and better and, you know, winning breeds winning. So I think you just have that natural confidence. So it's more, more confidence and, and excitement than pressure. And you mentioned the parent reaction at the end of that game. And just what I read from the outside is a feeling that they felt like they were part of it in maybe a way that they haven't in the past. And, I know a lot of coaches will hear that. They'll think about their own parents and their programs and some of the frustrations maybe that we've all experienced along those lines. What are some things that you've done to try to extend that cultural experience to the parents as well as the players? This year was a little bit more difficult with COVID. Um, so we they were not you know as present on campus as much as, as, norm, as we normally do, but um, we invite them to team meals, you know, things like that, or, or they, uh, they help with travel. But I think more than anything is being really proactive, being really transparent. I know um, I used to always dread the parent meeting, and I know that's always a hot topic with coaches. And now I honestly look forward to it. You know, um, in fact, I, I run the, the freshman parent meeting and I told our freshman coach this year, I was like, man, I'm fired up to, to meet your parents this year and to get in front of them. And he thought I was being sarcastic. And I, I had to tell him that like, I, I, I genuinely looking forward because one, we get to share our program and we're all really, really proud of the work that we put into it. We have a strong culture and, um, you know, I think anytime you can get in front of somebody and share and sell your program, it's a positive thing. So at the parent meeting, I'm very transparent, um, very loose. We talk about playing time. We talk about expectations. We talk about our system where I think right away, their first experience with, with Calakai basketball is a positive one where they feel like 
their kid's going to be treated well. Uh, they have a, a coach that's willing to have conversations with them and be open and transparent. I think that goes a long way. I want you to unpack a little bit more about what that looks like because you kind of said those things quickly and some coaches may not really dwell on what you kind of just shared. So some of the most beneficial things that you've done in a parent meeting in the last few years. Um, the big one is always playing time, you know, so we've done a couple of different things with playing time as far as just to illustrate the scarcity, uh, because I'm a parent and my, my daughters play sports. So I see it from both sides. And I think if I wasn't a coach, I would probably look at it through the lens that most parents do where their kids, the most important. So just try to flip the script on them and, and, um, I'll have every parent like this year, what we did at that freshman parent meeting is every parent sent them a Google form that was completely anonymous. And it, it just had, you know, our, uh, freshman games are 28 minutes. It was just, you know, one through 28. How many minutes do you think your, your son should play? They filled that out. And then as we added those minutes up, we would have to play, you know, almost two full games for everybody to get the minutes that they thought their son should play. So Right away, I think it just illustrates that, look, you know, we would love to play your, your son the entire game, but that means that somebody else has to come out of the game. And anytime we take somebody else out and, and that person's not getting their minutes. So that's always been, um, you know, well-received with the parents, kind of eye-opening for them. And then also we will, um, you know, that analogy that, that you gave me was just the, the theme park, you know, of or you can get in the theme park, but you got to be a certain height to ride the ride. And I think just being really honest with parents, I've, I've kind of broke down, you know, the four co-actives um, of a player of, of technical, tactical, physical, and spiritual. And I always tell them that typically players will excel in one or two of these, and then one or two of these will really be their deficiency. So if they're not playing, we're very clear with the player and the parent where this is this is where he really struggles where um he could be really skilled he could have a great attitude every day he can understand what we're doing but he's you know five foot two and you know a buck 20 where just physically he just might not be ready yet you know but as you know as he matures then he can get there so i think just being very clear with them on that has been some of the best things we've done one thing i also i like that you did this year was you kind of ran a little bit of an offensive clinic and you kind of taught them about it. And I think some people might hear that. Well, of course, I mean, if you're Mark Cassio, it's one thing, but I actually generally think that other coaches just, and I've seen this when they start to explain why they play the way they play and they're transparent around that people appreciate that. And I think it helps them see the level of intentionality. I mean, you, you mentioned, you've probably said transparency and the word transparency and parents maybe a hundred times in our last last few yeah. minutes like just transparency 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 and when i look at having worked with over 30 programs in the last few you know year or two it's like you probably have the least amount of problem conversations around playing time with parents and players and it's because you are organized and you do those you know consistent conversations with the players and you're really transparent around that process with the parents, right? Yeah, and good point on on talking about you know just like our our style of play too. Um, like we don't set a whole lot of screens off the ball. So if you're a, a parent with some basketball knowledge, you know you're going to look at that and say like, 
man, they're not even setting screens, you know, and if, if we're scoring the ball, it doesn't matter if we're not scoring the ball, that's kind of, you, you might criticize us there, but um, if I think if you just have some background knowledge of what we're trying to do and our, our system is, is predicated on player development and letting their uh, kid have freedom and, and be able to shoot the ball when they're open and drive the ball and make plays for themselves, then you know, as a parent, it's a lot easier to, to watch that and, and have an understanding of what we're trying to accomplish. So, um, yeah, and that's always fun. And sometimes I feel like I'm keep, I always do it at the end and I feel like I'm keeping them kind of long, but you know, we'll go like this year, we went back and forth with Q and a, and the parents had some great questions and I always get emails after just saying how much they appreciated me sharing, you know, both the playing time or, or our system or our non-negotiables with them. Cause it really helps them. I always tell them it takes a village to, to make a successful basketball program. And that, that goes to, you know, work in the concession stand or work in the gate or, or bringing us snacks for halftime, whatever it is, it, it truly does take everybody, but also it takes everybody just to be on board because I've had years where, you know, we, we, we do have parent issues and you're taking time and energy and sleepless nights and putting your, you know, putting your thoughts and, and your energy into that. And every time you're doing that, you're not thinking about their son or the basketball part of it. So uh, once everybody's bought in and everybody's helping it, it definitely makes it easier to be successful. One of the things you you mentioned there was just a few minutes ago was about your leadership. It's how the leadership of your program has grown. Um, you're pretty big on your leadership council, your captain's council. And I was wondering if you could speak a little bit to that of just how important that system's been for you. Yeah. So we we used to elect captains and then i went to well you know the the old quote of you can select captains but not leaders so i kind of did away with captains and our leaders just emerged but i think having a system to make leadership to develop leaders and then making leadership more player-led has been a huge impact in our program for me uh personally and the players i think one getting them in the leadership units has really built closer knit relationships with them. They love it when we huddle up before practice or we huddle up after practice in their small units or in team meetings, we'll utilize those units. They love to get together more so than I ever thought. Like they ask for it when I, when I fall short on that. Uh, and then it builds some competition within their units too. So in skill you know, in practice, we're doing some skill stuff. We might divide up in the leadership units uh, and they'll compete against each other. They love that. But the player led aspect has been uh, really a game changer for our program. It's uh, so much better communication from player to player, but also with players to coach and coaches to players. I think it's much more democratic than most basketball programs are. I think most basketball programs are led from the top and very authoritarian. Uh, I know as a coach, I have a much better pulse of my team because leadership council is much more likely to share their thoughts with me because I've opened the door for that. And that used to happen very rarely. I think it could still happen a lot more in our program, but over the years they come to me and I feel like they, they give me genuine opinions rather than what they want me to hear. Uh, and it also gives the players a better perspective of my point of view and what my role in the program is. Uh, they'll come to me with something um, 
you know, if they come to me with an issue and they're looking at it from the player's perspective, I'll give them the coach's perspective. And sometimes we meet in the middle. Sometimes I go their way. Sometimes it's just, hey, look, we have to stick with what I'm doing because it's best for the team and here's why. And regardless of the outcome, we have a mutual understanding and it's much easier for them to to take that to their unit and, and just get everybody else on the same page. So I just want to take a quick second to let you know that if you're interested in implementing a captain's council, like I've helped Mark implement these last few years, I'd encourage you to check out my online course and resource pack for the captain's council that's hosted on coachtube.com. The course lays out every step to implement and has a bunch of other ideas on ways to continuously empower your players to lead, to support the team standards, and to create stronger connections. You can save 10% by using the link in the details of this episode or by going over to thriveonchallenge.com. Mark, I'm curious, as you've kind of evolved and pursued that player-led program, has there been a change in your leadership and kind of the way that you think about your role that's allowed some of that player empowerment to happen? Yeah, I think uh, I've removed myself as um, you know the the ultimate decision maker, and I've I've allowed players to make decisions for our program, and it's just you know a, as people, if we know that we're being heard, if if some of our decisions are are our decisions, we're going to be much more likely to follow through with those. So uh, I think the biggest shift in my leadership style has been, you know what am I willing to let them choose to do? Because I know if I let them choose, they're going to be better. They're going to be more bought into that and they're going to be more willing to, to stick with it and hold each other accountable to that, to those standards. So, you know, them creating some processes for us or them setting standards for us uh, has been, um, uh, has paid a lot of dividends. So for instance, this year, uh, some of our non-negotiables are we are on time we're prepared and we're engaged. So we define those three things and uh, we lift in the mornings before school in the fall. So if our lift started at 7 a.m., I let them determine what's on time. And some guys were saying we should be there by 6.45. Other guys were like, whoa, 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 what about 6.55, you know? Uh, so we just set a standard that uh, if we were in the weight room and dressed, ready to go, which would be prepared by 6.55 a.m., that is on time. Instead of me just saying, this is what time we're going to be here, having them decide what on time is goes a long way. And that way they set the standard and we're just enforcing that standard and supporting them uh, to the standard that they created. What I think is powerful about that and sometimes is a bit of a shift for coaches is that by allowing players to define that standard, what's acceptable and what's unacceptable, uh, it allows you the permission to enforce those things maybe in a way that wasn't there before when it was Mark Cassio's rule and you better be here by whatever the time is, then it, it, it almost sometimes seems more confrontational rather than now it's collaborative, right? You're helping to serve them reach the standards that they chose, which I think is, a, is an amazing approach. Yeah, and it goes back to just me being more part of the solution than, than just giving out consequences. So now it's so much easier where if they're not in the weight room by 6.55, really my first thought process is I uh, hope everything's okay, which is a big change before it was all about me and why are they not on time for my workout? And then when they, if they do show up late, it's just, hey man, why were you late? Usually they have a really good reason. It's like, okay, you know, like I, 
you know, you're late. Um, you know, it's not okay. Like let's move on. Let's have a great day. Uh, and then if it becomes a, you know, habitual thing, then we'll, we'll have to enforce some, some standards or, or some boundaries and, and consequences if need be. But most of the time they, they know, uh, that they were late and they want to be on time. So we can all move forward, uh, getting on the same page. I remember just last, I think it was January before COVID going to you guys and, and getting to see you guys play in a, in a game and be a part of your practices. And I had been a part of practices before, but I mean, watching you guys in an actual game, I was, there was so much excitement. I could just, it was under, it was probably later in the year. So I really got to feel the culture where usually I come into programs in the early stage. So it was really, really cool and special. And obviously I, I, when I took on the team this year, I was like, all right, well, I'm running Mark's offense because that looks like fun to play and I want to be a part of it. But not only, and I think a lot of coaches see your office like, man, that is, that looks like a really fun way to play. Right. But that's not just what's great about your culture and the experience. Like there's just a great energy in practice. You know, there, there is, there's a competitive energy. People are getting after it. There are, you know, dips for you are like for other coaches, you know, they would, they would be like their peaks, you know, like just that's how high your energy is. So I was just kind of curious if you could share some of the things that you feel have helped to add to that practice environment, creating that competitive energy. Yeah, I think the first thing is we've shortened practice and, uh, and we've actually decreased the amount of days that we do practice. So just less is more approach. Um, we want to, we shorten practice to go usually 90 minutes. In fact, when I go back and watch our practice film, a lot of times it's like an hour and 12 minutes. Uh, if you take out the pre and post practice stuff, I'm like, golly, it's, it doesn't seem like we're, we're hardly practicing, but, uh, just being hard, short, very competitive instead of, you know, a lot of stuff on air. And then you're kind of building up to the competition part. We'll start with competition. Uh, we've adapted the quick set, which you shared with me, which is a great way to start practice and get that, our energy level up and set some standards. Uh, and then the competitive cauldron too which has been something that you've helped me with uh, just building competition where I think we've always had a program that's going to work hard most days. I think the biggest difference is now we're a competitive program. And I think there's a huge difference there because I think you can be working hard, but not always doing your best uh, and not always, you know, wanting to help your team win. So uh, just having com uh, everything is competitive. We keep it in the cauldron. Also build just like a certain level of responsibility or accountability to your teammates. And I think that is a great life lesson or, and obviously is important with basketball of your behavior, your actions, not only affects you, but your teammate. Uh, and then it's, it's really helped our engagement throughout practice too. A lot of times our players will ask, like, Hey, what are we going to? And uh, as far as like, like the score uh, or is this counting for the cauldron? Uh, and then our skill development, counts for the cauldron as well so it's it's a very small percentage of, of weight in the cauldron but now when we're doing our our ball handling stuff or any kind of skill work there's a they're just adding a competitive element where there usually wasn't so our skill development stuff is um much more intense than it was in the past and then uh you know last it gives you some data to where if you do have to have some hard conversations with players on uh, on their performance and practice, you have some some data to go back to, but and then as coaches, it'll help you helps us make decisions. But I think above anything, it just confirms or verifies what we think we're seeing in practice. 
If you'd like to learn more about implementing the competitive cauldron like Mark, I've got an online course for that. But also if you're interested in our mentorship program and culture coaching, you can schedule a call with myself or Nate to see if that might be something that's that's right for you. If you're a basketball coach, I highly, highly recommend you check out courtside-consulting.com. As I got back into coaching this year, I was coaching a pro team in Ireland um, for a few months. I turned around and I hired Mark to help me with my program when it came to the tactical, uh, technical, and even the teaching side. He, he's not only a master coach, uh, but he is an incredible teacher to other coaches. And it's been really cool to actually see a lot of the TOC community coaches uh, join the courtside community as well, because they're just a really, really great fit. So check out courtside-consulting.com. And don't forget next week's episode, we'll be back with Mark to really talk about what I believe is the key to his success.